Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at graceforsufalls.org. The Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the five thousand and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the four thousand and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, grateful to be in your presence, grateful to hear from you. Lord, we ask that during this time you would speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. We thank you that you are here with us. In Christ's name, amen. I would expect that you're not aware of what a big day this is for me. This is the first time that I am stepping into Pastor Mark's Matthew sermon series. May not seem like a big deal to you, but it is to me. See, I've always preached standalone series. It's a little bit intimidating to step into another man's sermon series. But here I am, and the way that I got here is a bit of a funny story. Well, at least it is to me. So, let me just take you where I was. I was sitting in the public library. I was working on my ordination papers and unsuccessfully trying to hide from my kids. When Pastor Mark emailed me about this opportunity, and he pitched this idea to me that, hey, maybe I should work through the book book of Matthew. I was a little skeptical, but then he gave me an offer that was just too good to refuse. He said, hey, why don't you preach the Canaanite woman and Jesus' inclusion of the Gentiles? I mean, how do you say no to something like that? I mean, what a beautiful passage. When I, when I read that passage, I get goosebumps. I get a frog in my throat. It brings tears to my eyes. It's a passage that leaves grown men physically shaken and pastors struggling to keep their composure as the reality of Jesus' compassion for undeserving Gentiles like you and me just comes pouring out of it. And so I emailed him back, and I even went back and I found my email so you can hear my excitement. I said, that is a beautiful passage and sounds like a great plan. It has so much depth that it may be hard for you to not want to re-preach it, but if you're okay with it, I'd love to take it. 
And then just to like express myself really, really clearly, I put a, a colon with like a parentheses. It's like a smiley face emoji, just so that he really knew that I was excited about this. It may not be real formal or professional, but I just, I just needed him to know that, yes, I want to do this. And so I'm sitting there working on my papers, and shortly thereafter, I got another email from Pastor Mark telling me, actually, it works out just right, so I'm able to preach this passage. But if you're still okay preaching in Matthew, you can always take the, the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And, and so I emailed him back, and I was like, oh, okay, okay I'll, I'll do that, but I did not put a smiley face emoji this time. <sighs> Anyway, I'll go ahead at this point. I'll plug last week's sermon. It was, it was fantastic. It was intense. I was emotional. If you missed it, go listen to it. If you were here, listen to it again. It's fantastic. With that being said, I'm really not sure that I'm allowed to admit this, but I will anyway. The passage before us today isn't one that I've always seen as one that's real exciting. It's always felt to me like it's some kind of deja vu passage. See, if you look at verses 1 through 4, and then you flip back in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12, 38 through 41, you find a parallel passage. See, there we saw the scribes and the Pharisees coming to Jesus and testing him, asking him for a sign. And guess how he responds? He says, An evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. This passage down to the very words that it uses is almost the same as the one that sits before us today. Ah, But what about the second part? Look at verses 5 through 12 of our passage. You'll see some similarities. Here we find that the disciples are, guess what? In a boat again. They've forgotten food again. They misunderstand the physical teaching of Jesus, not understanding the spiritual dimension of His teaching. Again, again, Jesus rebukes their lack of faith and helps them understand His message. The message itself, if you look at it, is focusing in on leaven. Something that we saw back in chapter 13 in the parable of the woman who was making bread and leavening the dough. I mean, what's different here? What is it that Matthew is hoping to convey by including this passage that seems to be a repetition, maybe like a, a spin-off of everything that's gone before it? But as I was studying this passage and I was looking into it and preparing for this week's sermon, the, the title of last week's sermon kept coming into my mind. Again, but with new eyes. Again, but with new eyes. See, if you look at where we're at in, in this sermon series, we see that Matthew is strategically moving us towards identifying that Jesus is the Messiah. And he's just finished showing us the amazing grace of Jesus as he brought in the outsiders, the Gentiles, the Canaanite woman. He healed and fed the, the multitudes of the Gentiles. And now he's returned geographically to the Jewish people. But he doesn't find the faith that the Gentiles exhibited. No, instead he finds hard-heartedness. Last week we saw a feast of the formerly excluded. And this week we find a food warning 
against the leavening influence of those who exclude themselves from Christ by rejecting Him. Again, but with new eyes. Today we will look at this familiar sounding passage and we'll take it in three parts. First, we'll recognize that there's an alliance that is formed here. Secondly, we want to look at what it means to beware of the work of leaven. And then thirdly, we want to identify the sign from heaven. So let's begin by recognizing the alliance that is formed here. In verse 1, we see that the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to test Jesus. Now these two groups are mentioned together three more times in this passage. You'll find it in verse 1. You find them again, the Pharisees and Sadducees, in verse 6 and in verse 11, and then once again in verse 12. So by the end of the passage, I mean the Pharisees and the Sadducees are almost just rolling off of your tongue. That They're mushed together. And it's clear that it's at the forefront of Matthew's mind. Why does he say this four times for us? Now, this isn't something that would normally surprise us because we know that these two groups make up incredibly influential religious parties within Judaism at that time. In the New Testament, whenever we hear about, say, the Sanhedrin or the council and the chief priests, we know that they're made up of both Pharisees and Sadducees. See, formally, these two groups always work together in some way. Even in Jesus' ministry, you see both groups coming to test Jesus. And then at His crucifixion, both are, are intimately involved with the proceedings leading to His crucifixion. So it's no surprise that we see them coming to Jesus here now, right? Well, yes and no, actually. See, when I started to look for other instances in the New Testament where we see the Pharisees and Sadducees named and put side by side like we find here in Matthew 16, there's actually only two other places that I found. First, there was, they came out to witness the ministry in the baptism of John the Baptist back in Matthew chapter 3. And it didn't go real well for them because John just called them a brood of vipers and then commanded them to repent. And then if we, we fast forward past John's ministry, past Jesus, we go all the way into Acts in the early church and actually go towards the end of the book of Acts into chapter 23, we find them again named side by side, but here in connection with Paul. See, Paul had gone back to Jerusalem and he had gotten arrested. And then the Romans, trying to figure out what's going on, placed him back into the council and said, figure this out. And so he appeared before the council the Jewish council, and listen to what happens starting in verse 6. It says, But Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, and he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope of the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And when he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit. But the Pharisees confess both. Then there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisee party arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Now, when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, 
commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them. I mean, that's pretty intense stuff. I mean, from this encounter, we can see why the Pharisees and the Sadducees did not want to be identified with each other. I mean, for starters, we can see how clearly they're divided theologically. I mean, the the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in angels or spirits. And yet, the Pharisees believed in all of this. See, the Pharisees were characterized by being theologically liberal, willing to work with Herod for immediate gain and self-promotion in this life. They were upper class, aristocratic, generally wealthy. Whereas the Pharisees were made up of all classes. They were very religious. They were uncompromising law keepers. They were moralistic in their attempts to remain pure and undefiled. And this made them totally unwilling to work with Herod or the Romans or or really anybody else at all. See, when you look at these two groups and you put them side by side, it's sort of difficult to figure out how they could ever get along. Calvin notes that they looked at each other as enemies, that they cherished bitter hatred. They continually engaged in hostilities against one another. See, even in their religious fervor to persecute Paul in Acts 23, we see that they are easily turned against one another and their united assembly became this vicious riot. So when they come together here in our passage, Matthew labors to show how shocking this really is. Like I said, he brings it up four times. I mean, he's really showing us that it's the Pharisees and the Sadducees that are coming up against Jesus. I mean, if we wanted to sort of maybe put it into our own words, I mean, what are, what are two groups that you think of like they just really don't work well together? You know, it'd be like hearing that the Republicans and the Democrats are being united or, or maybe like Vikings fans and Packers fans are suddenly getting along. Or, or maybe like the engineers and the assembly people are suddenly seeing eye to eye on everything. I mean, pick, the, pick whatever two groups you want. But, but what are the groups that you can think of that really wouldn't work well together? See, Calvin says that though ungodly men quarrel among themselves, their internal broils never prevent them from conspiring against God and entering into a compact for joining their hands in persecuting truth. Whether it's John the Baptist who's preparing the way for the Messiah, or it's Jesus here in Matthew 16, or it's Paul proclaiming Christ, the Pharisees and the Sadducees willfully lay down their differences to stand against the promotion of the Gospel. Understandably, in our passage, Jesus doesn't really have a lot to say to them. See, He's faced this situation before. And He gives them the same answer that He gave them before. No sign will be given to this evil and adulterous generation except the sign of Jonah. Well, He seems like He's just arrived here in the boat from the other side of the lake. I mean, he just, he's, he's ready to go. He left them and departed from the area once again. While this encounter was brief, it wasn't lost on Jesus, but it stuck with Him. We see that in verse 6, He uses this to teach the disciples, telling them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. 
Well, the disciples, bless their hearts, they're, they're confused. They thought He was talking about actual bread. Jesus was talking about the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So why didn't He just say that? Like, why did He say, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Well, it's because of the unique character of leaven. The all-pervasive work of leaven. I mean, you may remember talking about this uh, probably a couple months ago now when we looked at that parable of leaven. Um, it, it bears repeating though, leaven is, is the rising agent, the raising, or however you say that, in bread. It, it ra- ri- the bread rises, however you want to say it. Right? it. It's the yeasty stuff in bread that changes the dough from a, set, from a dense substance to one that's light and airy. And you only need like a tiny amount of yeast. If you've ever made bread, I, I, you just maybe use like a little packet or a little tiny spoonful with all of this flour. It, but, it, but it works its way all the way through the dough that the yeast is alive. So if you give it enough time, it'll grow and it'll spread and it'll go through the whole lump. There's this permeating effect of leaven as it reaches every corner, changing the dough from the inside out. See, Paul reminds the Corinthians that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So, tar- so starting as a tiny seed, it greedily grows and spreads, never stopping until it reaches all the boundaries of its container. It reminds me of a movie that came out, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, uh, the movie Inception. I don't know if you've seen that one or not. I really like science fiction movies. And, and this movie was, was interesting and the, the visual effects were great. Uh, but what I found most interesting was the movie's concept of implanting an idea in someone else's mind. I mean, if we step back, we're, we're all aware that people tend to be more committed to their ideas than other people's ideas. So if we really want someone to buy into a new idea, you may have a conversation with them and sort of lead towards a conclusion, but all the time kind of like hoping that they come up with your idea for themselves, and then they begin to promote that. Well, this movie went a little bit further than that. It wasn't going to use a conversation to implant ideas in people's minds. What they did was they traveled into someone's dreams to plant ideas in their brains. Like I said, science fiction sounds weird. It is weird. But it's kind of a cool idea. But the problem was that if you wanted to plant an idea in someone else's mind, people's brains are really smart and they can sense anything that's foreign, anything that's different in your in their mind. And so they couldn't just go into the dream and plant an idea. What they had to do is they had to go deep, deep, deep down inside in dream level after dream level after dream level, way down into the deep subconscious mind. And then they would plant this idea way down deep where no one would expect it. It would be untraceable. So from there, this idea would ferment, growing, gaining momentum, coming back to the surface of the mind. Given enough time, this tiny little idea planted deep in the corner of your brain eventually affected everything. Moving from the subconscious to the conscious. Affecting the person's decision-making and behaviors. See, this is kind of the same idea that we have here with the leaven. That it starts out small, but if it's given a foothold, even the smallest of spaces, it will never be content to stay put. 
but will quietly, subtly grow out of control, permeating everything that it can get its hands on. You don't control the leaven. This sort of leaven controls us. No wonder Jesus issues such stark warnings here in verse 6. Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But this sort of begs the question, what is the teaching that Jesus is so concerned about? What is it that disciples of all ages and all generations have to be careful of? I mean, when viewed separately, the Pharisees and the Sadducees taught very different things. The Pharisees promoted self-righteousness for the age to come, whereas the Sadducees promoted a moral syncretism that sought good in this life. One group was legalistic and the other group was licentious. One group could have been called religiously progressive, while the other could have been called self-righteously conservative. I mean, they seem to be two, two ditches, two sides of the issue. And yet Jesus doesn't consider them two things, but He looks at them as one thing, that it's one leaven. So what is it that united their cause? Well, we can see that it's their opposition to Jesus. That both groups were anti-Christ. That both groups were anti-grace. Most simply, it was their unbelief that united them. See, Jesus takes these apparent opposite things and He refocuses our attention, showing us that they're actually one. Two si- and there's only two sides of any issue that we face. There's the side of, of grace. And then there's a side of anything that opposes it. There's the identity of the given Christ. And there's the unbelief in His identity. See, it's the same thing that Paul does in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says that the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That there are only two sides. That there are those who are perishing and those who are being saved. Now, the perishing may look different, and and Paul shows that. He looks at the Jews and he looks at the Greeks and how different they are. The Jews seek signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. But in both cases, the antidote is the same. Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. That it's the word of the cross that saves people. It is Christ who is the power of God and the wisdom of God. See, the Gospel stands radically opposed to any other religion, any other worldview or philosophy. See, it speaks of a God who loves us despite ourselves. A God who demands perfect obedience and holiness, but then rather than exacting the punishment for our shortcoming, He counts us perfect and holy in Christ by faith. The other religions Tell us to make ourselves right with God. To do something to be loved. To do something to justify your existence. But the Gospel tells us that God has done the work to be reconciled back to Him. That you don't need to prove anything. But you need to come to the Father through His Son. Knowing that you are more loved than you could ever, ever imagine. Not because of who you are, but because of what He's done. 
Not because of what you've done, but because of who He is. See, anything that takes us away from the grace of God, any teaching that removes us from the glories of Christ is dangerous. See, Jesus tells His disciples to be diligently watchful, totally aware of leavenous false teaching. It's everywhere and it seeks to penetrate into our lives. And then once it's there, transform us from the inside out. People of God, we must be careful of the influencers, the teachers, the people that we give platform to in our lives. We have to make sure that we're being fed from the Word of God. That we spend our time thinking about that which is true and honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise. But if you're anything like me, you recognize that you're riddled with the leaven of unbelief in your own life. I mean, I recognize that not believing God's goodness in my life makes me fearful about the future, doubting that He'll take care of my family. I recognize that not believing the Gospel fully makes me timid with my faith and quiet in the face of adversity. I recognize that not believing in God's unconditional love toward me makes me feel worthless, depressed about who I am and who I'm not. And And the list could go on and on as we trace all of our individual sin patterns back to this common root of unbelief as the leaven has infected us puffing up our sinful thoughts and actions that ooze so freely out of us. So what do we do? Well, we look to the sign from heaven. See, Jesus didn't give the Sadducees and the Pharisees the sign that they asked for. But they were given a sign nonetheless. See, all throughout Jesus' ministry, if you trace it back, you know that they, they were there, that they saw the lame and the blind and the deaf and the mute all made whole by the hand of Christ. That lepers were healed. That dead men were raised. That the multitudes received bread. And yet there was nothing that would convince them that Jesus was from God. Nothing that would convince them that Jesus was God. It's ironic, isn't it? That they ask for a sign from heaven. And here, standing right before them, is the Son of God. The incarnate second person of the Trinity. Like, He is the sign. And He gives them the sign of Jonah. That He would die. And He would be buried in the ground for three days. And after three days, He would rise again from the dead. And this would be a sign to them. And how did His opponents take that sign? They found the guards and they paid them off. And they told this lie. They spread the lie that the disciples had come and stolen the body. There was not a sign that Jesus could give them that would prove to them His identity. They were stuck in their unbelief. And their unbelief in the identity of Jesus aligned them outside of the people of God, excluding them from the Gospel promises. What about us? Jesus has come out to us. And by His Holy Spirit, He opens the eyes of our hearts to His grace. Like the disciples that are brought 
by Jesus to this place of understanding. So we look to Jesus seeking to be taught by Him through His Word. And by faith, we joyfully receive the sign of Jonah, a Savior who died and rose again for our sakes. What do we do with the unbelief in our lives? Well, we cry out with the man of faith, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. What do we do with the corrupting leaven that we find in our lives? Well, we turn it over to the Lord and ask for His supernatural help as He remakes us by His grace. The Apostle Paul makes this point very clear in a passage that is very familiar to us, but also very dear to us. One that we, we read every week as we approach the Lord's table. We compare the leaven of the Sadducees and the Pharisees to the bread and body of Christ. Hear the words of Paul and let them sink down deep into our hearts. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old lump that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. People of God, not allow yourselves to become allies to false teaching. Watch and beware of its leaven. Recognize the sign of Jonah, the identity of our Messiah, the Passover lamb who has been sacrificed for us. Don't dabble in the poisonous bread of unbelief. Rather, feast on Christ as He has freely offered Himself to us in the Gospel. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org. We also invite you to visit the iTunes store and subscribe to the Sermons of Grace podcast.